Well, good morning. I loved my grandfather. I'm sure many of you had a relationship with a grandparent like that. In fact, I loved all my grandparents. But today I want to talk about my grandfather who was an artist, an engineer, and one of the most amazing do-it-yourselfers that I have uh, that I've ever seen. Uh, he built intricate doll houses with custom furniture and art and electricity uh, for his granddaughters. But for his grandsons, he taught us how to whittle and how to throw curveballs. He took us to Baskin Robbins a lot. He built a pool in his yard just for when the grandkids came to visit. He had this ridiculous sense of humor. He laughed at his own jokes. Uh, Did you hear the one about the blind carpenter? Picked up his hammer and saw. Let me tell you, that was the best one. Yeah. He had this Chevy Chevette, and he tried to teach me how to drive a stick. He did teach me how to play dominoes. He was a World War II fighter pilot. And uh, I have a picture in my office. In fact, I brought it over. It's right uh, in the back over here um, of him standing next to his P-51 Mustang, which he had called the boomerang because it always comes back. Right? And I loved, if we could get him talking about his war stories, some of them were harrowing and some were hilarious. As you can tell, he was very important to me. And I think in some ways I'm just realizing how important he was to me. But while I was in seminary, he died. And he died really the way we all want to die. He died in his favorite chair reading a book. Uh, It was a novel about P-51 pilots in World War II. And I got to speak at his funeral. And I spoke about a lot of what I just told you. And I got choked up a little bit at just the right time. And my mom was dabbing her eyes. It was, it was awesome. And, uh, and when I was done, for whatever reason, I looked up in the balcony of the church. And y'all, I swear, I saw him. He had this way of uh, pumping his arm and, and kind of cocking his head to say, good job. And, and, and the only thing that I really know to say about that is that I really like to think that it was him. I mean, it was probably, it was probably my imagination. But that memory is very real to me, and it lives on with me. And along with that picture, which I keep in my office, uh, the image in my memory of him waving good job at me in that particular moment uh, keeps me connected to him and gives me great strength. And some of you may have a memory uh, like that or a similar story. You felt someone's presence. You, you feel them speaking to you. I, this is a tender, tender memory for me. And I bring it to you really by way of contrast. As a way to say that this is categorically not what was happening in Luke's gospel passage this morning. Like Luke is telling us about a scene On Easter night, in fact, it seems to be the gathering where the Apostle Thomas was absent. We heard about that last week with with Beth. And Jesus appears behind the locked door and says, Peace be with you. 
And he is not a figment of their imagination. They are not left saying, you know, he he was really important to us and we, we really like to think that that was him. No, no. I was not scared to see my grandfather in the balcony because his ashes were in a canister right in front of me. It was spiritual or uh, it was my imagination. Either way, it was wonderful. But if I thought he was really alive, I would have screamed. I mean, in a manly sort of way, but I would have screamed. But Jesus is alive. He's alive. The disciples, our translation says, are startled and terrified. And let me tell you, that is a tame translation. Uh, They panicked. They lost their minds with fear at first. Because they thought they were seeing a ghost. And, And by the way, if they were seeing a ghost, it was a ghost that came back to say, why did you cowards run away when I needed you? They panicked. But he was not a ghost. He was alive, resurrected, and apparently hungry. I mean, it's Sunday night. As far as we know, he hadn't eaten since Thursday, right? This detail that Luke includes about the broiled fish that Jesus eats is Luke bending over backwards to say that Jesus is not a ghost He's not a hallucination. He's not imaginary or just living on in their thoughts. Jesus is alive. And so, uh, this is going to feel a lot like an Easter sermon, but it is the Easter season, right? And so I want to talk to you about the resurrection. And I want to talk to you about why we can believe that it really happened. And I want to talk about why that matters. So why it really happened and why it matters. So first... Why we can believe that it really happened. And this is important. I mean, you may already believe that it really happened. I'm glad you do. Some people in the church actually struggle with it, but but you may believe. But you know somebody who doesn't believe it. And if that person asks you, or those people ask you uh, about it because they don't believe in miracles, they ask you, why why you, as a very smart, reasonable person, why why you would believe something like this, it will not help them to believe it if you just shrug and say, well, I just do. All right, it's just the way I was raised. Or I've never given it much thought. Christians need to think this through just as much as non-Christians do. But I, really, there's actually some very compelling historical evidence that people who do not believe in the resurrection ought to face. I mean, don't just say miracles don't happen. Answer the evidence. And so the first thing to consider is actually similar to what I often say on Easter morning about the women who were at the tomb. And that is that these disciples in the room that night did not expect a resurrection. I mean, when Jesus appears and says, peace be with you, they don't jump up and pump their fists and say, you did it! (laughs) Because it was the last thing that they were expecting. It was totally unexpected, even though Jesus had predicted it at least three times before he died. And even though the women at the tomb had told him that morning that it had happened, they never saw it coming. Because they know, like you know, that dead people don't rise to life. That's why it was terrifying to them. 
You know, there's a very prominent scholar, Church of England bishop named N.T. Wright. Some of you may know that name. And he has outlined why, regardless of whether the disciples' background was more Jewish or more Gentile, uh, why these disciples could not have expected Jesus to be raised again. They could not have expected the resurrection. So first from the Gentile perspective, the Greek perspective. The Greeks believed that the material world was bad and that the spiritual world was good. And so whatever they conceived of as salvation, it was uh, not a return to the body, but an escape from the body. Not a return to this world, but an escape from this world. And so a dead person who came back to a physical body, who came back to this hard and broken world, (laughs) it not only be impossible, it would be laughable. I mean, what a fool from that perspective to come back to this world. So certainly not worthy of worship. I mean, because that person's headed in the wrong direction from that perspective. So from the Greek perspective, they, they would never have expected it. From the, but on the other hand, there's the Jewish perspective. And by virtue of God's creation, the Jews held that the material world was good, like you and I would. And by Jesus' time, many Jews believed in a general resurrection at the end of time. It was the resurrection of all the righteous and faithful persons. And that resurrection of all righteous and faithful persons would signal, at the uh, end of time, would signal the end of death and the end of disease and the end of injustice. Not unlike what we conceive of as heaven. But nobody, Nobody would have dreamed of a single person's resurrection right in the middle of history. One person raised from the dead in glory while the miseries of life carried on around them. That was inconceivable. And so the idea of an individual resurrection would have been impossible to imagine from either of the prevailing perspectives in the region at the time. The disciples did not expect Jesus to be raised. And yet immediately, I mean immediately, with this meeting that we read about, these relatively uneducated men and women, and th- I mean, think about this. These relatively uneducated men and women began to proclaim to the world what would have been both philosophically and religiously a completely radical, alien, and novel concept that was unprecedented in history. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, if you think about it, I mean, such a concept would take decades or even centuries to evolve. And yet it happens literally overnight, this night that we read about. And not only that, but with this immediate proclamation, they also immediately began to worship him as divine. Now, Greeks didn't worship people in houses. They worshiped gods in temples like Zeus or Hermes. And the Jews certainly didn't worship a human because, I mean, that would have been blasphemous blasphemous for the Jews in the worst way. But despite all the cultural and religious barriers, these Jewish disciples began to worship this man standing before them as divine. And, in fact, that the number of people worshiping him grew with alarming speed. How? How could they break through such entrenched 
religious and cultural resistance. How? Could they, how could they convince a growing group of Jews to worship a man raised from the dead? And it's because they were eyewitnesses. They were in the room where it happened. Right? They saw it for themselves. They touched him. They talked with him. They ate with him. Now here's the thing that gets me though. And I don't know what it does for you, but this is the, this is the thing that for me seals the deal. But, I mean, because what, what's to say that these guys weren't just sitting around that Sunday night drowning their sorrows and came up with some wild tale. I mean, despite the, the religious barriers, came up with some wild tale of Jesus being raised and it caught on. What's to say? Here's why that can't be true. It's because all of these eyewitnesses died proclaiming the resurrection. They were martyred. Sometimes with great suffering, proclaiming that Jesus rose bodily on Easter. Let me tell you, if they made it up, somebody cracks. Right? They look at the axe blade and they think, nope, we made it up. Okay, I admit, finally. But it didn't happen. They all gave their lives for this incredible truth. And by the way, I think it's worth saying that many of the, several of the people in the room were actually contributors to the New Testament. And the New Testament, in fact, crumbles without the reality of resurrection because it was written on the assumption of a resurrected Savior. The Gospels would not have been written for a teacher who promised to be resurrected, but whose story ended when he was crucified. The epistles would not have been written without a resurrected Savior because the world didn't need another religion or moral code. They had dozens. And therefore, it is not an overstatement to say that the sum of Christianity depends on whether or not Jesus walked out of the tomb that morning and stood in the room with them that night. Everything we do here is dependent upon the resurrection. All of our faith. And so I think, and I hope that I've given you reason to consider, that given the historical evidence, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus is not simply the most logical conclusion, but in fact is worthy of our complete confidence and eternal faith. But that actually doesn't answer the question of why it matters. I mean, why does it matter? That's the second point. Why does it matter for you in your life today in the midst of a pandemic or in the midst of a rough spot in your marriage or in the joys and sorrows of an empty nest or Uh, in the carpool line or the sales meeting or the boardroom or the emergency room, why does it matter that Jesus was resurrected? Before Jesus arrived that night, the disciples were sitting in the darkness of sorrow and loss. And their situation seemed fearsome and hopeless. And surely they thought, oh my God, how can God possibly bring anything good out of this? You sat in a place like that? I mean, how how can God bring anything good out of this? And then when they least expected it, Jesus was with them. Peace be with you. I mean, not an imaginary image up in the balcony, but the actual flesh and bones Jesus. God turned something terrible into something incredible and joyful. The resurrection of Jesus means there is always hope. Always hope. And it also means that He is always with you. 
I mean, that, remember, that was the promise of resurrection over in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, I will be with you always. Not like my granddad is always with me when I look at his picture, right? Jesus is alive, and so he is with you actually and truly. The resurrection, only the resurrection, makes that possible. And because Christ is with you, the saddest things are not the end of the story. Even when they don't turn around and have a happy ending. They might end terribly. That happens. And I'm so sorry. I hate it. But it's not the end of your story. Because Christ is alive. The most difficult things aren't barriers, but opportunities for personal growth and for growth in our faith, or even detours to take us to places we never would have gone on our own. So let me conclude by going back to N.T. Wright, the scholar and bishop, and quote an Easter sermon of his where um, sort of broaden the point and then we'll we'll bring it back. Uh, Where he, He said this. He said, The message of resurrection is that this world matters. That the injustices and the pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won. Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. The risen Jesus was in the room that night. And the risen Jesus is in the room this morning. And the details of your life matter to him because he is with you always so alleluia christ is risen the lord is risen indeed alleluia amen